Welcome to the Jack Mountain Bushcraft Podcast, episode 35. Welcome to the Jack Mountain Bushcraft Podcast with your host, Jack Mountain Bushcraft School founder and master main guide, Tim Smith. I'm your host, Tim Smith. I'm a registered master main guide, and in 1999, I founded the Jack Mountain Bushcraft School. We help people become more skilled, more knowledgeable, more experienced, and more confident outdoors by using traditional skills, a few simple tools, and field-based experience. Whether you're looking to go from city slicker to competent outdoor professional, want to experience a remote expedition, or just want to learn a few new outdoor skills, we've got you covered. You can check out the show notes to this and all of our podcasts at blog.jackmtn.com. When you're there, click on the podcast button. And if you enjoy the show, please leave us a review on iTunes. Lastly, the best way to keep up with our programs and trips is to join our email newsletter. And you can do that at jmbnews.com. It's April 21st. I'm sitting in the guide shack with Christopher Russell. There's still 37 feet of snow outside. Uh... (laughs) And this is the first podcast that we're recording during the spring 2018 Wilderness Bushcraft semester. We just wrapped up week one. It's uh, Saturday morning. We're sitting here after consuming a giant thermos of coffee and now a giant uh, cup of espresso. And uh, we'll probably look towards more caffeinated beverages as the morning goes on. I don't know if that's a good idea, Tim. I'm trying to make eye contact with you, and my, my <laughs> eyes are shaking, or your eyes are shaking. I'm not really sure which. Call this eye old twitchy. Oh, jeez. <laughs> yeah, so good first week. Even with all the snow and stuff, we feel like we got a lot done. Yeah, certain challenges that we've faced during the beginning of our spring semester. And in the 10 years that we've been here at the field school this year... Um, put like a nice pile of whipped cream and cherry on top of those challenges. Uh, just the snow depth. Um, the night I arrived here last week, last Sunday morning here in northern Maine, it was three degrees Fahrenheit, mm-hmm. right? So you're you're kind of hoping for the snow to start melting, and you're like, well, you know, it's it's three degrees. Snow is not melting. <laughs> so we uh, obviously our road is not opened up. Um, and we had to haul all the gear in with our snowmobile. Um, and, you know, getting around has been a bit of a challenge. So we've been on, it's basically been a winter course for week one. Everybody got up to speed pretty quickly with snowshoes and snowshoe bindings. We've got, or I've got a bunch of those um, military surplus snowshoes with the magnesium frames. And they're awesome for late season and early season right because you're never going to hurt those things you're not going to abrade them like the the frames are basically like mini i-beams so if you bridge when you're walking on them they're not going to snap and then the the cables that they use to lace them with are super abrasion resistant so you know this time of year with all the ice and stuff i wouldn't want to have my my pair of delicate midwinter you know babiche laced uh snowshoes because um they would just get chewed up by these conditions. But anyway, um, cold and wet, too, are just other real challenges we face uh, faced this past week that, you know, when it does get above freezing, it's it's uh, all the snow starts to melt and everything's damp. Um, and it's really cold and just near constant snow and rain and sleet the first week. So as we sit here this morning 
and the sun's out and shining and reflecting off all the snow and it's nice and bright and cheery you know i i think uh i feel like we earned it i almost <laughs> don't even know what to do with myself i woke up this morning and saw this big bright yellow thing in the sky and kind of crawled back into the tent cause yeah it seemed it's, like, it's sort of frightening yeah it's terrifying yeah um so we <laughs> absolutely s- terrifying if we had a if we had a goat, we would have sacrificed it to the to the big worm. Well, we did have a goat, and now we had a goat. Yeah, it's gone. Right? What? You didn't know about the goat? <laughs> we had a goat. I killed it. Oh well, uh, I don't know if that's appropriate for our listening audience, but uh, we'll we'll run with it anyway. Anyway, let's pull this back because we're <laughs> gonna get off track. So yeah, severe severe challenges week one. Um, but, you know, as we as we go through the course, the cool thing about the spring semester has always been, you know, you start on snowshoes and you end swimming in the river. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the reason why, one of the reasons why we like to do our long courses on the shoulder seasons is so that people get a feel for several different seasons. You know, in, in two weeks it'll be spring and in six weeks it'll be almost summer around here. So, the uh, you know, you get in, in the course of a nine-week length of time you get to be on snowshoes you get to learn about canoes and swimming in the river and all those things whereas you know if we did this in the middle of the summer or just in the middle of winter you only get one season so yeah. i think that's a benefit not a curse mm-hmm. the adaptability that students have to have on these courses is is uh brought even more to home when we get up here and there's three feet of snow on the ground and they have to pick up stuff pretty quick um as far as you know efficiency with the fires and the shelters and stuff like that yeah, I mean, real training is based on real life challenges. Right. You know, it's it's easy to sit in a you know in a uh, uh, environmentally managed classroom and look at powerpoints, but what you walk away with, and you're actually out in the cold, the snow, and the wet. Mm-hmm. You know, you have real life experience to go with that training exercise, and I think people just walk away with more as a result of being in that real situation. So. Bad weather makes things real right away. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not an abstract exercise. And now, now imagine that we're out somewhere and it's cold and snowy yeah. and rainy. And for us, it's just so much easier to be somewhere cold, snowy, and rainy. Yeah, the, I think one of the great examples of that is uh, your favorite shelter that's still standing on the property, um, which is one that someone built, I'm imagining, during the summer where they kind of, the way you describe it is, you know, the fort they always wanted to build. Oh, it's, yeah. Yeah, and it's... Uh, that could only really be built when it was warm out because that person would have been miserable if they had stayed in it. So the, um, the necessity of building an effective shelter gets hit home even more because, uh, because it is cold. And if you don't build it right, you're going to be cold and the wind's going to rip through there. Um, yeah, with regards to shelter, hard conditions teach the correct and expedient approach. Exactly. That you can sit around and, you know, imagine you're 10 again and all the, like, the wacky dreams you had of, I'm going to build this, I'm going to build that. And, mm-hmm. like, that, that uh, I took the, my kids to Disney a couple years ago and that Swiss family Robinson tree. Like, who didn't want to build that the first time they walked up it, right? Like, mm-hmm. uh, but, you know, the reality is you're, you're, it's a, with shelter, if you're going to live in the thing, yeah. it, which is a whole lot a different animal than, than just building it to build it. Because, you know, at that point, why even bother? Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, if you're going to live in the thing, the, the, the bad conditions, uh, it, during bad conditions, there are certain criteria that you need built into that shelter in order yeah. to have it function. And, you know, I mean, the purpose of shelter is to 
to give us a warm, dry space for our tropical bodies to live. So in bad conditions, yeah, you could spend six weeks building some goofy, I don't know, treehouse, whatever. Mm-hmm. But the reality is we part of a good course, and you could you could judge a course by this, is setting out what are the parameters that the shelter needs to, to accomplish. Mm-hmm. How is it going to keep you warm and dry? And how quickly can you build it from the available materials? Sure. If that weren't the case, yeah, just, you know, start building a regular construction project where, hey, in six weeks, the con- concrete truck's going to come down and pour footers and then then we'll get everything delivered and then, mm-hmm. you know, we'll move in in a year. Yeah. You know, if you're stuck out on the land or if you're living on the land on purpose, you need to move in today. It's not, you don't have that luxury of like, well, you know, eight weeks from now, I'll mm-hmm. be able to, um, yeah, whatever. The other cool thing about kind of the shoulder season stuff is that... Uh, the weather and the environment kind of becomes like an assistant instructor to us because we can tell students all we want about, um, you know, how shelters need to be built to be effective, but nothing's going to teach them as well as that first night that they didn't tie their tarp down right and the wind rips through it and they're cold. Um, that'll remind you like what the parameters are and that's going to stick in your head a lot better than, I mean, I like yelling as much as anybody, but it does. it's not as effective as, you know, somebody waking up with snow on their feet. I think it's important to touch on the fact, and I think you're alluding to it here, that experience Mm -hmm. is the third best teacher. Pain is the second best teacher. That's, you know, a little kid will only ever touch a hot wood stove once, right? So when when something hurts, you don't do it again. Any idea who the best teacher is? I'm terrified of the answer. (laughs) The best teacher was Mrs. Petrowski, my first grade teacher. Uh... (laughs) Oh jeez! Uh, I'm a bushcraft instructor. Yeah. Uh, see, every time you make a joke like that, we get derailed and we have to get back into gear. So, to all the people listening, if Mrs. Let's hope- Mrs. Petrowski, if you hear this, oh. I, I meant that from the bottom of my heart. You were the best teacher ever. Uh, okay, so. <laughs> so there's a great quotation by an old Maine guide. He wrote a bunch of books. Uh, had a job during World War II on the Border Patrol when they used to snowshoe the border of northern Maine to make sure. I don't really know why they would do it because people weren't invading Maine from Quebec during World War II, but they did it anyway. And he wrote a series of books, was a Maine guide. His name was Bill Riviere. His, uh, he wrote the L.L. Bean Guide to the Outdoors. His canoe book was Pole, Paddle, and Portage. Uh, just great series of books. But anyway, in one of his books, I don't remember which, he had a quotation about fire. And it essentially, I'm going to summarize it here because I don't remember it exactly, but he said that when things are warm and dry and the woods dry, he said lighting a fire is so simple a toddler can do it. Any pile of sticks, you throw a match at it and instantly you have a blaze of fire. He said, but when it's been raining for a week or it's sleeting or there's 10 feet of snow and the conditions are a lot harder, that's when you can determine someone's level of training and experience by how they light a fire because then it's very challenging to do and most people can't pull it off, Mm -hmm. right? And I think the same holds true for for just about everything. But with regards to shelter, you know, if it's sunny and 80 degrees and it's the middle of the summer, who cares what your shelter looks like? You know, it doesn't doesn't really matter because it's not sheltering you from the cold or the snow. Um, But, you know, when when there's three and a half feet of snow, there's no dry ground, uh, that's when 
sort of you need to have your wits about you and have a good plan and Absolutely. have a good design and follow through and do a good job building it. Because if you don't, you're going to suffer. Mm -hmm. And we should talk about just, you know, we mentioned pain being a good teacher, but we should talk about the difference between uh, the pain that is, I even hesitate to call it pain, the discomfort that comes from sleeping out cold um, because that's what you're actually doing versus um, if that was kind of a, a challenge that was created for you by an instructor. Um, so Ben has our Ben Spencer, one of our other instructors, has this thing he likes to say, which is manufactured hardship versus um, a real challenge. And I think that's an important thing to keep in mind when we're talking about this stuff: is that we're not we're not soaking people's socks and then sending them into the woods and turning them loose. Um, well, you might not be. I knew my socks felt wetter this morning. <laughs> I, I had them out by the stove; they were drying. Ugh. Now I lost my train of thought again, Tim. Thanks for that. Well, just the idea that manufactured <laughs> hardship is, is uh, you know, something that's contrived. Yeah. So throwing somebody in the stream and then saying build a shelter. You know, the one of the nice things about having our field school here in northern Maine, we never have to do that because Mother Nature does it for <laughs> us on a regular basis, yeah. right? When everybody's looking a little bit, uh, you know, kind of fat and sassy, uh, hey, Mother Nature will say, why don't we do three inches of snow and then an inch of ice as a storm? Yep. That'll that'll sort everybody out. So, so we don't have to manufacture those situations. Um, and it's a good, I think it's a really good thing to differentiate between a training situation, which we encounter here at the field school. People mm -hmm. are here to train and expand their skill set versus a vacation. You know, if someone mm -hmm. wants to go on a guided trip and it's a vacation and they want to catch some fish and relax and blow off steam from 50 weeks a year at the office, that's great. It's an awesome thing to do, but it's just a different experience. It's a different animal than mm -hmm. someone who comes out and wants to expand their skill set mm -hmm. with regards to living outdoors, you know, guiding, fishing, survival, bushcraft, whatever, that the, you know, the, the goal when we're training is to keep pushing boundaries a little Absolutely. bit that once you get to where you're comfortable, you know, you're not really learning anymore. So adding a little bit more of a challenge and getting slightly uncomfortable or, or more than slightly uncomfortable, um, you know, then you learn to deal with that and work through that until, you know, you become comfortable with that. So it's, you know, you're constantly pushing back boundaries in a training situation and you have set goals where if, Whereas if it's a vacation and you just want to relax, blow off steam, whatever, you know, then you don't need to push back. The goal there is to be within your level of comfort and mm -hmm. relax and enjoy yourself. Yeah. And yeah, like you say, there's nothing really wrong with that. But um, I got nothing. <laughs> I was trying to branch and it didn't happen. So it's, you know, uh, one of the things, as we said, it's been a kind of a challenging week out here. Um and I think it's good that everybody on the course has really pushed some boundaries this week. And whether they wanted to or not. But we, I mean, we live in a changing world, right? I mean, uh, you, we're always hearing of the ice in Greenland's going away. And I've met people from Greenland in the past year. And they talk about how things are dramatically different there than they were, you know, six, seven years ago. Like the, the climate is changing in a lot of parts of the world we are fortunate in most of the temperate zone here especially in the u.s that we don't notice it for us it's like pundits on tv arguing over whether it's fake science or real science or stuff but you know come to the uh come to some of these events like the snow walkers rendezvous where they get they get folks down from pond inlet 
on Baffin Island or they get people over from Greenland and mm-hmm. they'll tell you like my life is radically, radically different than it was 10 years ago as a result of the climate. So I think, you know, the not to be alarmist or anything, but, you know, we live in a changing world. I think the I had a biology professor once who said the only constant in the universe is change. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, you know, knowing how to take care of yourself and those around you on a small scale is just it's an antidote to, to fear with regards to change mm-hmm. in that, you know, most of the things that we rely on in modern American society are sort of big picture civil projects and programs that take care of us. For example, um, say I live in suburban Boston, right? My water comes in from a big pipe underground and goes to every house in the in the town. My electricity comes in on a wire and goes to, you know, every house in the town. During, th- as we saw from uh, Puerto Rico this past year, you know, they get hit with a big hurricane. All of a sudden, hey, they don't have electricity. Um, you know, the water quits running, or like in the case of Flint, Michigan, you know, the water is no longer fit for human consumption. You know, what are you going to do? And I think bushcraft is a great is a great way to build resiliency in a changing world and to build resiliency in, you know, in uh, a population. So, for example, if out here we have the luxury of, of space and not a lot of people around, so we're not really competing for resources. But, you know, if I know how to build a shelter that's going to keep me warm and dry, even if there's four feet of snow on the ground. Um, all of a sudden, the world's not as scary of a place. Mm-hmm. If I know how to sanitize the snow or the river water or pond water or whatever to the point where I can drink it, you know, the world's not as scary of a place. And I think the past hundred years has seen us, uh, us uh, American society, move from sort of self-reliant people living on small farms and stuff pre-World War One. To now, I think more than 60% of the population lives in urban areas where you can't control the things mm-hmm. that allow you to live there, right? You, like you, if, if I lived in downtown New York City, I have no control over the water coming into the city. It's this big public works project, and I'm relying on everybody else mm-hmm. to make sure that that continues to work. And it's a lot of people's job, and they do a really good job with it. But if something shuts down, yep. all of a sudden, hey, those people aren't there to help me anymore. Maybe I need to have a backup plan, you know, and this is where ideas of people who are preppers and whatnot, they always are always working on those, those backup plans. And I think it's, you know, in in this day and age, it's a good thing. It's a good thing to have, you know, here in Northern New England, uh, 1998, there was a big ice storm and I know people who lost power, electricity and things for 40 days, you know, just about six weeks, no electricity. And if, you know, if I was, if you were heating your house with electric baseboard heat at that period in time you just you know everything's going to freeze your pipes are going to freeze you know whatever else so modern houses uh would just be unlivable like that so having a backup plan you know maybe you have an old wood stove in the house in the basement or something but Mm -hmm. you know having those backup plans and knowing how to use them so what we do out here is maybe a little bit more uh, i hate the word extreme but you know we're we're imagining that we're or we are just living in the forest and getting most of our raw materials from the forest in order to take care of our needs. It doesn't have to be like that. It could be as simple as having a backup heating system in your house or or whatever. But 
Well, I think that I think that doing this stuff, um, whether or not you you know you come to one of these courses and then go and live on a homestead, even if you take one of these courses and go back to living in the uh, sort of modern world, it still changes your mindset on how you approach things, and that's not only true for personal, but also in like business approaches. So, the example that I've been thinking of the whole time we've been talking about this was uh, the difference in. Um, how we faced, how we dealt with the challenges we got when we arrived here. So we couldn't drive down when we arrived here. Um, so we figured out other ways to get everybody in, get everything comfortable. And I'm pairing that with, um, I worked for the winter at a ski mountain. And if anything on that mountain shut one little cog and that machine broke down, the whole mountain was, was gone. They had no there was no method in place to deal with these little problems other than like the guy whose job it was to come and fix the lift or whatever it was. Um, and it, it happened a lot, you know, if something, you know, if they had three feet of snow happen overnight, they would close the mountain down until noon because they couldn't get anybody to plow the road until that time. And it, it was interesting to see that that mindset was true of everything people did on the mountain, as opposed to, what we deal with up here where any little problem that pops up, we immediately start approaching it from like, what backup plan do we have in place? How can we fix this? How can we deal with it? And I think that that is something to keep in mind. If you come on one of these courses that the, the skills are great, but the, the mentality that you pick up while you're here is probably the best thing you can take home with you is knowing what, knowing that you have the ability to do something if things go wrong. Yeah, definitely. Just being resilient and adaptable. You know, the world's, if you're if you're confident, resilient, and adaptable, you live in and I believe this. You live in a different world than most of the population. Mm-hmm. Like Tron, uh, would that be like an electronic world? <clears throat> I don't know. That was like an electronic world inside of the uh, other world. Was it? I think so. I'm basing it all I on the eighties video the game. There was, was a, movie? a video game. <laughs> there was a movie. <laughs> <laughs> what? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Skate 3, Tingsboro, Mass, in the game room at the old hockey rink. They had the Tron video game. I remember putting a quarter in it, and I was, I'd was lost my three lives immediately. <laughs> I can't, I can't extra, uh, explain to my children enough that back in the day with video games, you had to pay, and when your three lives were up, they were up. Like now, you just keep hitting rego or reboot or whatever, and you just have unlimited lives. Like, what's the fun in that? I, I apologize. That was my fault. <laughs> um... <laughs> Yeah, so we should uh, we should yeah we should talk about the uh, the big news for the students on this semester. They're kind of our I hesitate to use the word guinea pigs, but that's good, what I'm going to use anyway. Um, for D- our delicious guinea pigs, so delicious. Um, <laughs> yeah, they're the first students that get to see our new and improved uh, journeyman workbook that Ben Spencer worked so hard on. Yeah, so the journeyman <laughs> is our in house one of our in house certifications and corresponds directly to the. Wilderness Bushcraft Semester course. Um, And we devised our certifications because we wanted to differentiate people who went after mastery of the material to people who just took a course and maybe didn't master the material. So, you know, I recall semesters in college where I can't even remember what courses I took. Um, But I, you know, obviously there was a difference there. It was a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. But like uh, Tron? Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> but we wanted to, to to make a roadmap for people who really wanted to master the material. 
Mm -hmm. right? And that was the impetus for the journeyman cert. And up to this point, it's always been where we would outline the parameters, what people needed to do, what information they needed to record. Um, and then they were responsible for recording that in a notebook that we would later on check. So Ben decided last year that, you know, this wasn't a great system. And admittedly, you know, it probably wasn't a great system. So over the winter, he put together a 316-page workbook where all that stuff of how to record the information is all now done for you. So now, mm. essentially, you just have a spot to record. For example, we, we do 30 consecutive days of weather journaling. So there's a spot where you just sort of fill in. It's all labeled, and you put, you know, write the date and... Then they've got spots for, say, the temperature, the barometric mm -hmm. pressure, the percentage of cloud cover, the types of clouds, the wind direction aloft, you know, all these things that we record. And he just took the, uh, through his through his labor, he's taken out the need to sort of organize the information. Mm -hmm. Like, that's all done for you now. Yeah. So initial, um, initial reactions to that have been super positive because I think it allows people to just really focus on the information mm -hmm. and less so on having to or how to record the information. Yeah. It also, it also allows to, the thing with the journeyman has always been like, it's ideal if you finish it on the semester, but it's always been kind of a thing where you can go home and keep working on it and update instructors as you're doing it. And um, once you're away from here, that's kind of a hard thing to check up with the instructors about how, how you should be recording it, whether or not you should be putting it down. But now we have a way where, you know, if you don't finish it on the semester, you take it home with you and you just keep working away at it. And um, at the end, you have a really uh, tangible piece of material that you can just send back to us. And it's really easy to check through and make sure people have got stuff down right rather than getting, you know, a notebook filled with post-it notes. Yeah. So it allows it. us to be able to review it quickly and easily because mm -hmm. everything's in a similar format. Exactly. Um, we've had a couple of people ask already if we're going to be offering this for sale. We're not. It's only going to be for residential programs um, with us. Um, and that's, you know, partly because we don't want to just give it out there, but partly because this is the, uh, this is the alpha version of it. And, you know, we've got to go mm -hmm. through and test it and, and make adjustments and things. So a first draft, I guess, would be a better way of, of saying that. But, um, so, but so far, so good. So far, so great. We're super excited to have it. And it, it has already streamlined, you know, the process mm -hmm. of, of keeping records and, and keeping on top of all the things that people need to keep on top of while they're here. And yeah. something I really love about it, you know, our residential programs are a mix of hands-on field skills, academic research, um, you know, our seven elements of skill, journey, craft, nature, culture, sustainability, and self. And I think this really allows, or the workbook really is a boon to, to some of the, uh, some of the academic endeavors that go on here. You know, they really, I think, help people get their head wrapped around on what information they need to record what information is useful to them as mm -hmm. they progress on their journey towards mastery. Um, and I think that 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 has uh, already one weekend been a huge boom. Absolutely. I would say it's also the way it's set up. It's a great structure for going forward with, you know, maybe two years from now, you're you're not you've done the journeyman, but you're still wanting to record information well and in a way that people, other people can understand. And this gives you a good sort of training framework in how to write things down in an academic way that people can look at. And once that's 
once that's ingrained in you, it doesn't really go away. And a lot of people struggle with how to format, you know, stuff like that, you know, tracking with tracking information and that kind of thing is once you've got that framework built up from doing it for a while, that doesn't go away. And I think that's another great thing about this notebook. So it's just, it's one more step in our ongoing quest to sort of add minimum standards of competency uh, to, to a field, you know, bushcraft, mm-hmm. or, or I guess for us, maybe more uh, guide training, but add minimum standards of competency to sort of say, okay, this is what, you know, if you're at this level, if you're a complete novice, here's what you need to achieve in order to advance to the next level. And, you know, we're basing that on 20 years of, of field experience running semester programs. This is, uh, what is this number? This is long-term program number 43, I think. Um, I think it's 43. So we've got a few years and a, and a few uh, a few weeks in if the field. If you can't remember this. which one it is, you've done enough of them, I think. Uh, well, I couldn't remember when we were doing number oh, two. Tim, so. I'm trying to help you. Um, anyway. Yeah, not just based on on something random that yeah. we came up with, or you know, just you do something long enough, and you sort of you see where the you see where the uh, route needs to be. Mm-hmm. We were talking about urban planning, I think, on our last podcast, and we were. Mm-hmm. It's fun to go to a new campsite, and you just sort of let everybody go whichever way they will, and then that determines where the little paths and trails will be. Mm -hmm. That if you try to determine where they're going to be before people decide where they want to walk and the path of least resistance, often you'll put them in the wrong place. So by sort of having 20 years and 43 long-term programs under our belt before we added the student workbook, I think we sort of put the workbook, you know, the trails are where they need to be at this point. Yeah, that's, I like to use a metaphor. It's a good one. Um, Anything else? Uh, no, it's about all I got. I got to drink more coffee if we're going to keep talking. Yeah. Uh, so thank you again <laughs> for listening. If you enjoy this show, leave us a review wherever you enjoy listening to it. They always help. Um, we checked our stats last week, and we now have 14 listeners because my mother got the guy across the street from her to uh, to give us a listen once, so... 14 downloads. Uh, and... 13. My mother unsubscribed. Oh, well. Back to the drawing board. Hey, thanks for <laughs> listening, and we'll catch you again sometime soon. Mm-hmm.